Holy God, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word for us today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our psalm today is Psalm 23 from the Divine Shepherd. It's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your st- your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of the Lord. Back to the basics. Back to the basics is the journey I've told you that I'm on in this season of my life, getting back to the basics of what it means to be a pastor, visiting, preaching with you. Um, Back to the basics is also the journey that we're letting St. John, John the evangelist, John the pastor, take us on as we've been listening to his little letter near the end of your Bible, 1 John. Back to the basics. So far, these are the basics that John has opened up for us. One, a life of faith is about fellowship with God, relationship with God, communion. That's where it starts. Two, if we say we have fellowship with God, we've got to walk that talk, right? And show that fellowship, let it play out in our fellowship, our relationship with one another as the church and with the world. Three, this is how the relationship is defined. We are children of God. Not just metaphorically, but in actuality, adopted in love by God. With the indications of that, the implications of that being We now live a life in which we grow in likeness to our elder brother and Lord Jesus and are licensed to live a good and beautiful and right life like him. It's about fellowship. We've got to walk the talk. You're children of God. Today, John basically, pretty bluntly says, here's what that life that life as a child is meant to look like. It's meant to look like a life of love. Listen to how he unfolds that as we listen again carefully and well for God's word to us from the book we love. This is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, 
that the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or a sister are murderers. And we know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need, yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word and speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we're from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. Because God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have boldness before God. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandment abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. Dear friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. So, holy God, once again, on the sixth Sunday of Easter, we lay our lives open before your open word. And we ask that you would do what only you can through the power of your Spirit, which is to make this a word for each and every one of us here today in a way by which we know the love and presence of Jesus and grow to show that love in our lives. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I've been a pastor for seven years next week. Seven years, and in those seven years, seven weddings. Seven years, seven weddings. And so I just want to share with you something that I've learned from all of that. When you go to a wedding, participate in a wedding, show up at a wedding, you are there really just for one reason, and everything revolves around one thing. I know you're thinking I'm going to say the bride, but actually I'm going to say a pronouncement of love. That's it. That's why you're there. Everything revolves around and is centered on one thing, a pronouncement of love. It doesn't matter whether you're the couple getting married or the parents giving a child to love or the friend or aunt who's there to witness the love, or the minister who's preaching love, when you go to a wedding, everything revolves around and is centered on one thing, a pronouncement of love. I now pronounce you 
Um, that's why you set up the folding chairs on Friday evening. That's why you end up dressed to the nines on Saturday afternoon, and it's why you end up dancing to Brown Eyed Girl by Saturday night. It all revolves around one thing, a pronouncement of love. And you can't say that about a lot of things. Like you might say you go to a sporting event to see your team win, but it's really about the whole experience, right? The hot dogs, the popcorn, the chocolate malt. You might say you're going on a vacation to see one destination, the Grand Canyon, but really it's about the whole journey, right? The drive there, the family you might see along the way. But when it comes to a wedding, the whole reason for the journey, the whole reason the caterer sets up, the whole reason the music plays and you dance for that one day in the year is because of a pronouncement of love. Everything revolves around and is centered on that. In our scripture today, John makes a pronouncement of love. And everything else he writes and says revolves around that. John gives an announcement and a definition of love, and it's the reason for everything else you hear and are asked to do. John says this, we know love by this, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's it. That's the main event. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's it. That's what everything else you heard in all this rambling writing of John, it's what everything else revolves around and centers on. And so it's the reason John remembers a story, it's the reason John asks a question, and it's the reason John gives a reassurance. John gives a pronouncement of love, and it's the reason he remembers a story. John remembers a story. John says we must not be like Cain, who's from the evil one and murdered his brother. John remembers the story of Cain and Abel. Do you remember that story? Genesis 4, Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve. One day they go up to offer sacrifices to the Lord, and the Lord accepts the sacrifice of Abel, but not the sacrifice of Cain. And Cain is angry, and God says, don't be. Do good. Master your sin. But instead, Cain, what? Murders his brother. Instead, Cain murders his brother. John remembers the story of Cain. And why does he remember that story? Because if we know love by this, Christ laid down his life for us. If that's the picture of love, then the story of Cain is the very opposite of that picture. The very antithesis to the way of love we're called to walk as children of God in the world. In fact, John says it marks Cain out, not as a child of God, but as a child of the devil, from the evil one 
In that, he submits to sin and takes life rather than giving life or fostering life. And so Pastor John says, we must not be like that. We must not be like Cain, to which you might say, oh, fine, okay. I won't murder my brother. I'm not a murderer. And then John adds this. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. Really? I thought maybe the NRSV made a typo. So I looked it up in the Greek. Do you know what it says? All who hate, detest a brother or a sister are anthropoctanos. That's a fun word. Say it with me. Anthro. Anthro. Pactanos, manslayer, murderer, like Cain. Some of you know the Heidelberg Catechism. Anybody know the Heidelberg Catechism? The Heidelberg Catechism uh, was a teaching tool written in the 16th century by two pastors to help teach the Christian faith. And it was given in question and answer form. So, for example, question one, Bodhi will know this because he learned it in uh, confirmation, right? Um, question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Questions and answers. Well, questions 92 through 115, there's a lot of questions, deal with the Ten Commandments, teaching the Ten Commandments. And questions 105 and 106 deal specifically with the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. You know what question 106 asks? Does this commandment, you shall not murder, refer only to murder? Answer. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Isn't that something? It's like they've been reading 1 John. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Which I think is to say... It's not enough for us as the children of God to simply refrain from violence and killing of one another. Like, the gospel doesn't declare God so loved the world that he refrained from destroying it. Nobody gets that tattooed on their arms. God so loved the world that he tolerated it. Nobody holds that sign up at a sporting event. What does it say? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And John says, who laid down his life for us? Giving life rather than taking life. Positively fostering life rather than destroying life. And so we ought to lay down our lives. If the end, if the final, final frontier of hatred is violence and murder, the destroying, the devaluing of life, then as the children of God, we are called to be on a 
on an altogether different road than that, different path than Cain, one in which we don't only negatively refrain from violence and murder, but in which we positively do things that foster and uphold and value life and love with one another as brothers and sisters in here and as brothers and sisters, including those whom you might detest sitting next to, whom you might be uncomfortable sitting with for one reason or another, because of how they vote or where they're from, what they are, or what they look like, or how they sound, or whatever you want to say. If you can think of a sister or a brother in Christ whom you'd be uncomfortable with. The, the goal is not then to be angry with me for bringing that up, or to feel ashamed of yourself, but to say, maybe that's my edge, where God is inviting me to grow in love, to lay open my life in love. Because we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us while we were still sinners, while we were still children of Cain. And so, therefore, we ought to lay down, lay open our lives with and for one another. See, everything revolves around that text, that line. It's what makes John remember this story, and it's what makes him then ask a question. Did you hear the question? How does God's love abide in anyone, live in anyone, who has the world's goods and sees a brother or a sister in need, yet refuses to help them? That's the question. And it's actually, I think, a bit of a rhetorical question. Like, you're not meant to actually ponder it. How does God's love abide in anyone? Who ha you're meant to have a kind of gut, visceral react. Oh, it doesn't. Or at least it doesn't look like it. It doesn't appear that the love of God is operating when goods aren't shared with a brother or sister in need. Jesus told a lot of really good tales, um, and this is one you probably know. One time Jesus said a man was on a road going to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers and beaten and stripped and left for dead. Do you know this one? And as he's lying there, someone steps, steps, steps by. That's how my children's Bible puts it. Step, step, step. It was a priest, a teacher in God's temple church. And did he stop? Do you know this story? Did he stop? No. Okay. Here's someone who actually works in the temple, right? Leading others in worship, and he passes by. Then a Levite comes, someone who, whose name and lineage indicates his connection to the worship of God. The Levites, the tribe of Levi, were the worship leaders of Israel. And did he stop? He didn't even stop. And then who comes? A Samaritan. A man hated by most Jews at the time because of his ethnic background and religious peculiarities. And did he stop? Yes. He got down by the man in the ditch. He laid down and laid open his purse in order to pay for all his needs. 
And so Jesus asks at the end, who is the neighbor to this man? And the answer given is the one who showed him mercy, the one who showed him love. And there are a a lot of things that we can learn from that story, but one of the things I think that John might take out of it is that we do not evidence our fellowship with God by a title priest, evangelical. We do not evidence our fellowship with God by a name, Levite, Christian, spiritual. There is evidence of our fellowship with God in an action, love. I mean, I am a firm believer in this, that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. That is, your identity precedes activity. And John seems to operate that way in this letter. He says we're children of God and then lays out the implications. But sometimes it's kind of like the opposite is true. What you do, your actions, actually reveal who you are. What you do actually indicates what you really believe. And so when John asks, how can... God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods, sees a brother and sister in need, yet refuses to help. Part of what he's really asking is, how do our actions, particularly toward those in need, a brother or sister in need, how do those actions reveal the love of God actually operating in us? So that we don't just say with our words, God loves the hungry, and we do too. But we show in our actions, as many here do, by making food in the kitchen for people who are hungry. So we don't just say with our words, God loves children, and we do too. But we show in our actions by valuing children, by actually nurturing them in faith, that love. So we don't just say God loves racial healing, but we actually work and learn what it takes to heal some of the divides. So we don't just say with our words, we know the love of God by this. He laid down his life for us. But we actually show in our actions that that love is operating in us as we demonstrate it toward one another, laying down our lives for each other. See, everything's revolving around that one line. It's what makes John remember a story. It's what makes him ask a question. And finally, it's what makes him give a reassurance. And this is the reassurance. When you see the love of God operating in you, it is an assurance of your fellowship with him. It is a reassurance of your relationship with him. Here's how John says it. By this, that is love in action, by this we will know that we are from the truth. Who is Jesus? Right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. By this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. Now, I'll be really honest with you right now. Vulnerable, even. Sometimes my heart condemns me. Sometimes my heart tells me I'm not enough. As a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend. Sometimes my heart tells me 
who I am is defined most by the bad I've done or the good I've failed to do. Sometimes my heart condemns me. Which is why listening to Disney's conviction, follow your heart, can be a really terrible thing because our hearts can be broken. And if your heart, then, is ever anything like mine, John, like a really good pastor, wants to share a word with us. John wants to reassure us. John says, when your heart is condemning you, not in helpful ways that lead to repentance, right, but self-condemnation and shame, which leads to destruction, when your heart is condemning you, look for love. Look for the ways you have grown in Christly love. Look for the times that you've acted in love. Look and then get up and demonstrate God's love. Because our acting out the love of Christ is a reassurance, John says, however dim that light of love may be, that Christ is in us, that Christ is abiding with us, that Christ is in fellowship with us. The outworking of Christ's love is evidence of his inworking in your life, no matter where you've been or what you've done or what you've failed to do. The outworking of Jesus-shaped love is evidence of him working in you. And at the end of the day, that's what all this love talk is about. Living in and with Jesus. John is not laying down a law for us. Love in a way that lays your life down, or else God will not love and accept you. God, that's not what John's saying. John is preaching the gospel. John is saying, you are already infinitely loved by God in Christ at terrible cost to himself. He laid down his life. Therefore, love. Let the love that has been poured into you now flow out of you with one another. If we're going to get back to the basics, this is the basic definition of Christian love. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. Everything revolves around that. Which doesn't mean, of course, that you'll be a martyr. Right? Although, Peter was crucified, and Perpetua and Felicity were eaten by lions, and Bonhoeffer was hung, and MLK was shot, and Romero was gunned down while celebrating the Mass. So they actually did lay down their lives out of love for the one who laid down his life for us. I wonder if, if maybe if I actually keep their witness in front of me, I'll be more ready to lay down my life for you, in the hundreds of little ways that the Lord opens up for us each week. I wonder if you could find one way this week to love.
This is the commandment, that we love one another. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.